Hello and welcome back to the Future of Real Estate podcast with me, Damien Wilde. Have you ever experienced a moment where your true calling comes to you? An awakening, an epiphany? Well, Guy Granger, not long ago, experienced just such a moment. That moment, and I'll let him explain shortly, led to him becoming JLL's Global Head of Sustainability Services and ESG earlier this year. As he comes to the end of his first 100 days in post, he's readying his plan for the years ahead, but already he sees a greater willingness in the industry to set targets than take action. He's also unafraid to name a particular branch of real estate, unable or unwilling to change, and he warns that we have five short years to get this right. He also reveals his lesson from lockdown in something that could well become a regular feature of this podcast. Over to Guy. Guy, welcome to the podcast, or welcome back to the podcast, I should say. Um, you, you put in a couple of virtual appearances a year or two ago, uh, probably two or three years ago, actually, from the World Economic Forum in Davos before virtual appearances were quite the thing that they've become. <laughs> I know, yeah, old, I remember it well. An, an old hand. But, uh, but you know, before we get in... Before we get into your new role and the challenges facing real estate, one thing that I'm I'm going to be asking guests on the podcast, I think, going forward is a is a lesson from lockdown. Is there a particular lesson from lockdown that you've picked up that you'd hope to extend? Yeah, I think um, I, I think when we look back, there's going to be a lot more silver linings from a work perspective once we get over the trauma of this that, than we realise. Uh, and for me. You know, before the lockdown, I'd been running the EMEA business as CEO uh, for four years or so. And I'd been on a big drive for people to embrace technology. We had generally at our business, you know, we're a big organization in EMEA. We employ 12,000 people and the more they can stay connected through technology, the better. Not just in terms of these video calls that we're having, um, but also in terms of collecting data on systems and such like. And honestly, it was a nightmare. The change management was so difficult to get people to change their habits and to share information on a system, to stop traveling to internal meetings and instead to uh, actually just have video conferences like this. And then overnight, within weeks, right, everyone switched. And it's just incredible to see actually what happens when you don't give people a choice, <laughs> how <laughs> easy it is to change your habits. if you have to change your habits. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson to us all that, you know, we, we all think things are difficult to do because we're not used to doing them. But if we have to do them, we're very adaptable. So it's a, it's a really big lesson. And I'm really pleased, even though kind of I'm fed up with being at home and I'm looking forward to seeing my colleagues again. I'm really pleased that this way of working has been embraced, that there isn't a stigma about home working because it's going to make lives a lot easier for people going forward, having that flexibility and that ability to kind of work from anywhere. So I'm really pleased about that. That's very well put. And I think if there's something that we can carry forward, it's don't wait for the shock to uh, mm. to change our behaviours. It's, it's all Correct. possible. Yeah. So your role has changed this year. Global Head of Sustainability Services and ESG, quite a title. Three months in, how is it going? Um, I'm really energised. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Davos at the beginning. When we spoke at Davos, that's when I had a, a moment. Uh, and it really was a moment. That was the epiphany, uh, was it? It was the epiphany, yeah. I was attending a presentation um, with Christina Figueres, who 
Uh, Manny in the sustainability will know is a, a, a very inspiring spokesperson for uh, climate change, uh, Costa Rican. And uh, I, I, I just felt I had to do something about, about this, right? I felt like this is something that as a leader in business, I wasn't engaged enough in. And I made a note, physical note, to dedicate much more of my time to it. And Okay, that was a few years ago. Uh, when you're in a big role, like I was in a big role, um, you have to plan for succession and things like that. But from that moment on, I was planning my next career move. And I'm just absolutely delighted that at the same time JLL were, were on the global board, we were discussing how we invest in sustainability services. And, um, you know, I got, I got together in the middle of last year with our global CEO and and I said, look, can I lead this? Because I think it needs leadership. It's a very fragmented, well, our industry is fragmented, but the sustainability world is very fragmented. And if we can pull it all together and provide clients with a sort of end-to-end -end solution from their strategy to their execution, now I think there's a really good commercial opportunity in it, but I think we'll have real impact as an organization. So I said, look, I'm prepared to commit if if we can you know get a succession plan sorted for me and we got that in place and we've um brought over andy popping all the way from california and actually the lockdown facilitated that to happen quicker than we thought because california was also in lockdown so he's come over to run EMEA and that enabled me to start in january and it's as anyone knows when you change jobs it's energizing a bit frightening at the same time and, um, you know, particularly, you know, I've been given a, a relatively blank sheet of paper to design what good looks like in the future. That's also energizing and frightening. But um, that kind of, so I've still been kept awake at night, but with slightly different challenges and hopefully ones that will have um, real impact going forward. And so how much of that piece of paper is filled in now? Well, I'm actually just literally coming to the end of my first hundred days. So um, I in theory, I should have completed it. And I'm pretty close. I'm presenting to our global chief executive and CFO uh, on tomorrow. In fact, you've gone to my busy schedule. Well done uh, to uh, really set out a vision and investment strategy for the future, because this will require some capital for us to get it right. Um, but we've come through the uh, this, I called it a recession then. It's not, it's more than that, isn't it? This pandemic, we've come through it with our cash flow in really good state. So uh, really positive outlook for the ability for us to invest capital into this area. So yeah, building up a vision and a strategy. Can't tell you all about it now because I haven't even told my CEO. So give me a few more weeks on that, Damien. Well, yeah, you'll have to come back in a few, week, few weeks time. I, I guess your, your epiphany going back um, three years or, or so, uh, by the sound of it. It came slightly before real estate's epiphany, but it has felt to me in the last 12 months that there has been a, a, a an enduring recognition, perhaps. Yeah, um, there's definitely a lot more targets being set by um, property companies, by the real estate industry, which is good. It's not everything, I have to say. Uh, it's pretty easy to set a target. It's not quite so easy to execute on it. And, and um, you know, we must give a bit of credit to the EU for coming up with some pretty far-reaching legislation as well. The regulations are changing. The UK is very much part of that. The UK has gone quick in 2020 to speed that legislation up. So there's a lot of 
um, more fiduciary responsibility and regulation about reporting on climate risk. And that has impact on the way you run your business. And so I'm not saying that's the only reason. I'd say the pandemic has helped to amplify the conversation around health and well-being and therefore environmental matters as well, which is all sort of focused in on cities, buildings and the environmental impact. So all of that is good, but the regulation has helped. So we are seeing things go quicker in the UK and Europe than we are in some other parts of the world. Okay. You, you didn't seem to completely agree with me there when I said that real estate seemed to have had a, a, an epiphany and there may be an enduring um, embracing of that. Th- I mean, there are some very good examples, aren't there? There's always a danger that you um, you talk to the converted around a, around a topic like this. Do you think there's a very long tail which has quite some way to go? Uh, yes, I do. Um, you only need to see the listed sector of real estate to see that neither one signed up to it. But, you know, real estate is full of private companies as well, where Mm. the responsibilities are not so great. Um, And so I would say certain sectors of the industry are going quicker than others. And a lot of that is down to leadership. I mean, I would say this, but I think leaders can have a huge influence on what companies do and what organisations do. And organisations are places full of people changing behavior, changing the way we work. Um, and you will see that, um, yeah, I don't think the house builders are doing that well on this, quite frankly. Um, and I think many others are in the process of setting targets right now um, or have set targets in the last 12 months, whether that be around net zero carbon, emissions, circularity, or social value, which doesn't get talked about that much. Um, and if you're just setting targets in the last 12 months, that means there's a lot of work to do. And again, we'll come on to this, but you you hinted that there's a bit of a gap between target setting and perhaps action. But even easier than setting targets is to to look at a, a broad spread of targets, you know, 14, 15 targets and pick the one that you you want to be measured against. And so there's, it feels that there's also a danger of greenwashing out there to borrow that word. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't borrow it. I think it's it's good that people are talking about greenwashing. And, you know, we'll all get caught up in this, um, myself included. You know, I'll come out with some ambitious statements that might be misleading or I might not be able to follow up with on the actions. And I should be called out on that. There's a, a level of accountability. And um, clearly our um, uh, sort of new uh, property colleague, Mark Carney, got caught out relatively recently on this. Mm. But, but kind of because sustainability is still an area of experimentation people will get caught out don't be afraid of it Um, and greenwashing should be exposed for what it is Uh, this is not about reporting uh, just reporting right (laughs) reporting is a way of having responsibility and being transparent about what your organization is doing but you have to back that up behind with action So reporting will only get you so far, I think. And that's why we're really moving from a corporate social responsibility agenda to just a way of working in the commercial world. So, uh, you know, ESG, environmental social governance, 
really was seen as something which was niche a couple of years ago. I think if it's not already, then in the future, that's like a minimum requirement, basically. So that that is a shift which has happened in our property world quite quickly. And that is meaning that a lot of organizations are changing the way they work to adapt to that because the capital that's coming in has got ESG requirements. So really interesting to see how fast it's moving. I definitely agree with that. Okay. And uh, as you say, there's a focus on target setting more so than action. Do you think? Do you think they're? I mean, you the the two have to go hand in hand, don't they? And you need the you need the data to prove that your your action is um is yeah. delivering. And you know, there's always a lag, and data is a big problem. Uh, even when we were setting our targets, it took us two years to get the data to actually understand where we were starting from. So it is really hard. And actually, that's one of the things that we want to help clients with. We manage five billion square feet of property around the world. That's a lot of data that we hold on to. That's a lot of scope three emissions that we've got in terms of managing that real estate, whether it's facilities management for our corporate clients or property management for our for our investor clients. And we're trying to aggregate that so that we can actually show clients um, where they sit on the journey um, and also make it easier for them to set targets and then be accountable to milestones. And you know, we talk a lot about 2050 being the target um, for the Paris Agreement in terms of uh, um, reducing climate impact. But really, we need milestones much closer. We need 2025, 2030, 2035 milestones. If we leave things too long, then we're going to be leaving too much to do. And one thing I'm absolutely sure of, we cannot get there without buildings. Okay. And it's it's the combination of regulation, capital, which you mentioned, and also tenant pressure that's going to drive change. Are those the three the three drivers? Um, yes, I think that there's also the public that we shouldn't disregard. Uh, you know, tenants obviously sign the lease, but behind that there's people working in the buildings and there's uh, a big drive there. Uh, so yes, uh, but you know, not all of this is happening on the ground. There's a lot of talk in boardrooms. There's a lot of targets being set. Actually, within organizations, actually, it's quite a few layers you need to go through. Uh, you've got procurement, you've got supply chain uh, to get to the ground level uh, when, when you get into the nuts and bolts, literally, of how a building runs, uh, the resources and materials that are needed to create that space, but then the demand that's created by using those buildings. So that's why we have to look at this in the round in terms of embodied carbon and operational carbon um, from an environmental perspective, uh, which largely creates a lot of the harmful emissions. Okay, and you you mentioned um, we we touched on the S of ESG, um, and if if there's not enough, if it's hard to um, record the data around the E data around social value barely exists at the moment, does it? Uh, I'd challenge that a little bit. It's um, People say it's hard to measure. It's not hard to measure. There are systematic ways to measure it. And, um, you know, you, a number of KPIs which can be done. I, what what so, are some of those? Well, it's, it's often around uh, the impact that happens 
outside of the building rather than inside of the building. Um, in terms of the employment opportunities that are created, the engagement with the community. I mean, there are hundreds of KPIs behind this. There is a very systematic way of measuring it. It's not so much can social value be measured. It's once it's measured, how are you using that as a value measure? Right? Because most of our companies or assets are measured purely on financial metrics, purely on a rent and a multiplier. And until you start building in the social value into as a benchmark for valuation or the um, operations of that building into a metric for the valuation, which are, by the way, I think will be, become um, far more prevalent as we go forward, then um, then really you're measuring social value, but for what purpose? Right? It's got to be taken into account. And I, I am convinced that um, buildings will be valued in operation in the future. I don't know when, but as soon as they're valued in operation, a building that is not net zero carbon and has to be repurposed as net zero carbon will be worth less. And then that operational use factor um, needs to be taken into account. And it'll be really interesting to see how quickly that happens. So all of this adds up to something quite quite significant. So I'll test a, a pet theory on you that the, the 2020s are going to be real estate's most impactful decade. We, you know, we need to work out what a post-COVID economy looks like. We need to grapple with the future of the high street, of the office, of retail, of hospitality, and then there's ESG in every aspect of it. And, I, and if it gets those big calls right, real estate, um, then it could position itself in a more positive light than it has done for a very long time. Get them wrong, and it will, you know, it it will never get out of the the villain role that it's so often cast into. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'll go a bit further. Actually, I think the next five years—it's not even the next decade, but the next five years—are a moment in time when the voice of property has never been so relevant. I, I've never known a time when people have been asking me about the workplace so much. Mm. Friend, friends, relatives, you know, people who quite frankly are not interested in property outside the homes they live in at all, commercial property. So it's very, very relevant. And when you think about why they're asking about the workplace, it's actually the role that it plays in our lives, which is being asked. So property is becoming very relevant. And then when you look at the environment conversation, which again is a household conversation that we're having, then buildings and cities play a very key role in it. You know, we've heard the stat rolled out that 40% of emissions come from buildings or the built environment. Well, it, it kind of goes deeper than that, right? Because obviously part of that is the embodied carbon and part is the operational. And, um, you know, it drives right down, you know, into the you hear Bill Gates talking about his book and he's talking about concrete and steel the whole time and how that's used in buildings. And that's the biggest sort of carbon premium out there. So it's very much we are relevant. Question is, how are we going to use that relevance for positive good, which, by the way, can also equal commercial good? Okay. And um, we, again, we're thinking back to conversations we've had previously, and this is going back three or four years. You were looking for a net zero uh, building in London as the next HQ for JLL. You're on yeah, the move. 
Was that harder than you expected? Yeah, it was harder than we expected. And and um, in the end, if I'm honest, we didn't really want to take a new building, but we are we are doing that. It's part of a regeneration of um, a big area of Broadgate. We've been working very closely with British Land, who I told them at the outset we would push them into a very uncomfortable place. <laughs> and um, but they responded really well. So um, really embracing modern methods of construction to see if we can really minimize um, the resource impact as much as possible and um, create an environment for our people, which will be ultimately not just in five years when we take occupation, but over the next hundreds of years, a very resilient and environmentally friendly and healthy place to work. So I'm pleased, very pleased with the result. It's been through great partnership that we're getting there and it's a work in progress. But London is not a good exemplar of net zero buildings, quite frankly. And um, we experienced that when we were looking. Now, our requirements were probably a little bit more stringent than a lot of other occupiers because this is one of uh, the most important uh, buildings in our portfolio around the world. So we wanted to really have a vision for the future. But um, it's been a really interesting journey to go on as a customer, I must admit, because you really get a good, a different impression of, of what the property industry is providing for you. So it's been a great cathartic exercise for us. But you had to make compromises along the way by the sound of it. Yeah, we did. I mean, yeah, this isn't about perfection. If you're waiting for perfection, then um, you'll be waiting a long time. But we can make a difference along the way. That's uh, and if if the end result is significantly better and creates significantly less impact um, than it would have done previously, that is progress, and hopefully it will be a precursor for more great things to come. So it's all about being able to experiment, repeat, and scale up. And um, you know we're pleased with the outcome. And quite frankly, right now. I know that London is starting to enter a very different phase where this is much higher on the agenda than it was pre-pandemic. And there's lots and lots of great um, stories coming through about repurposing buildings, uh, redeveloping buildings, which are very inspiring indeed. So actually, I think um, the occupiers should be well served going forward. OK, that's a fine note to end on. Guy, thank you very much. Thanks, Damien. Well, we couldn't talk about anything else on Earth Day, could we? Clearly, there are some challenging years ahead, but there is an opportunity for real estate to position itself as part of the solution and not be cast as 40% of the problem. Thanks to Guy for joining me. Thanks for listening. And I hope you can join me for another Future of Real Estate podcast next month. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.